welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Malaysia's new Prime Minister, Ismail Sabri Yaqub, was sworn in on Saturday the 21st of August after the resignation of the former Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin and his entire cabinet less than 18 months in office. The resignation came amidst him fighting in Yassin's coalition cost him majority support. But Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaqub faces an uphill task in uniting a polarised society and reviving a slumping economy and a worsening pandemic. Malaysia has one of the highest COVID-19 infection rates and deaths per capita. Joining me on today's program to discuss the deteriorating political situation in Malaysia is Irene Xavier from the Labor Law Reform Coalition. She starts here by introducing herself and the coalition. My name is Irene Xavier. I am from a coalition of trade unions and labor groups called the Labor Law Reform Coalition. It is a coalition that was set up to amend the major labor laws in the country because our labor laws are very old, they're very conservative. And uh, so we got together to propose amendments, uh, thinking that the government that was installed in 2018 would be would carry these amendments through. Well, we'll get to um, some of those issues in a minute, particularly the sorts of proposals you're making in relation to the the labour laws. Um, but And you've hinted that um, government not being in place at the moment, which is obviously what we want to talk about today. Yes. Um, so amid uh, the accelerating COVID-19 pandemic and deteriorating economy in Malaysia, uh, the Mal- Malaysia's Prime Minister, uh, Muhyiddin Yassin, resigned um, a couple of weeks ago now. He was replaced on the 20th of August by Ismail Sabri Yaqub, uh, who is a member of the right-wing UMNO party and deputy prime minister in the previous government. What happened? What are the circumstances leading up to this spectacular event? The former prime minister, Muhyiddin Yassin, uh, has been described by many people as one of the worst prime ministers that we have had in our country. Uh, Worst in terms of uh, in terms of doing something for the, for the Malaysians who are actually at a very major crossroad of their lives. We have a big economic crisis and we also have a big COVID crisis, this pandemic. And uh, all the actions that Muhyiddin took uh, were criticized by people. There were were many groups of people in the country who actually offered to uh, advise him on how to, for example, uh, deal with the COVID crisis. There were many groups of uh, professionals, of doctors, of uh, health, uh, public health experts. Uh, they gave 
submitted many papers, they asked for many dialogues, but uh, Mohidin didn't, uh, didn't receive this at all uh, properly. He didn't dialogue with anybody. He was very busy with trying to remain in power uh, because he knows very well that he came in through a very flimsy coalition and uh, his coalition partners were making many demands on him. Uh, so he was very busy with those things. Uh, we had the largest number of ministers in our, in our country ever. And most of the ministers uh, were people who didn't know their jobs. Uh, for example, the woman and family uh, affairs minister made some horrendous uh, statements, took some horrendous positions almost as soon as she became minister. So it was not a government that was functioning and uh, the economy kept getting worse and worse because he began to impose a lot of lockdowns. He asked the factories to close and so on. And the employers too were not happy. And uh, when things got really bad, when we had this third wave of uh, COVID that really has, uh, has taken many lives, uh, there, there are a record number of infections every day. Uh, then at that time, he decided to allow the, some of the factories to operate, to, to function. Uh, so he made a lot of unwise decisions and he was very unpopular, but he was still surviving because he has suspended parliament. And then at the insistence of the king, he had parliament for half a day and then uh, he didn't call parliament again. So it was like, uh, there were no checks and balances to what he was doing. And finally, what uh, removed him from power was a rebellion among his own coalition. Amno and past decided, especially Amno decided to withdraw their support from him uh, because he couldn't meet many of their demands. And, uh, and that's why in the end, he resigned. He had no choice. This, um, the, the reference to Amno uh, in relation to um, the, the, the Prime Minister that was installed um, by the, the monarchy being a member of Amno, not the same party as the party that won the 2018 national election. For me, the, this reference is a bit ludicrous, if I could say that, because at the 2018 national election, um, it was an alliance between Anwar Ibrahim, who we know was always oppositional, but also with Mahathir Mohammed, uh, that defeated Amno for the first time in the country's history. But the only reason Mahathir Mohammed was able to engineer a defeat of Amno is he used to be Amno. So, uh, I mean, it sounds to me like all the way through, Amno has always been in power 
and still is. Is that how you read it? Uh, yes. Uh, in during the two years of uh, Pakatan Harapan uh, rule, uh, Mate tried to make it appear as if uh, the old rule didn't exist, but uh, people of course knew better. Uh, he just ignored everything. First of all, he said that the election promises, nobody keeps election promises. It's impossible, we can't. This is a very uh, utopian dream. Uh, so he refused to allow many things. He didn't allow the uh, human rights uh, changes, amendments that we were asking. Uh, labor laws completely ignored them. Uh, so it was very much back to normal in, in the key, in many key areas in the country. The, the only uh, good thing within those two years was that people expected change and they behaved as if change had already taken place. Uh, so a lot of people's initiatives uh, came up People took a lot of initiatives to do many things like uh, monitoring the, the parliament, uh, asking a lot of questions, uh, ensuring that there was actual uh, debate in parliament, for example. And then they just began to, uh, to, to make comments about anything that the government did that was wrong. And this is what people were doing all the while. Uh, the Bursay movement was very active in those two years to try and change the uh, election system, the electoral system. Uh, uh, so those things happened, but without the support of Mahathir, uh, with Mahathir trying to downplay these things all the while. So it was always a kind of a struggle with Mahathir. So it was not just that Amno just came back uh, fully. It wasn't able to function as it, as it wanted to function. Uh, like for example, uh, the appointment of the Attorney General. Uh, Mahathir actually tried to withdraw that after making uh, the nomination of a non-Malay to that position. And after the Malays complaining about it, he tried to withdraw again and put somebody else, but somehow uh, he changed his mind again and we had a new attorney general. Um, so there were some things that he reluctantly conceded and that helped people in, in those two years. So it wasn't just a, um, a disguised, exactly the same UMNO. You're saying that the alliance with Anwar Ibrahim needing to form a different party list name, all of those actually did have a material difference in the way Mahathir was able to rule for those two years. Yes. Yeah, even for the labour laws, for example, uh, we were able for the first time to raise so many issues with the labor minister during those two years. Uh, there was an open, open uh, 
like an open house to the ministry every week. Uh, and people could just come in and register all the complaints that they wanted. So we used those opportunities to go and meet the minister and we met him a number of times. And we were able actually to discuss things with him. Uh, and then he told us to come back later uh, to have a meeting with his uh, civil servants, the top civil servants. So we engaged in all those kinds of uh, things which never happened before. Uh, and then LLRC came out with a very comprehensive uh, amendment schedule for the four major uh, labor laws. It, it was a education process, even for the trade unions on some issues. Uh, for example, on issues about women and equality in the law, it was a, it's an education for the labor unions themselves during our discussion. Uh, but we were able to push this through into the amendments. Uh, so for two years, many uh, areas were vibrant. The, the, uh, the communications ministry was also very vibrant. Our television, state-owned television stations changed, changed uh, very quickly. So we had a different kind of uh, uh, television broadcast and there were many plans uh, for the stations to, to do public education on, on uh, human rights, to do public education on labor rights and so on. Uh, so yeah, there were many, these kind of things that also took place during those two years. Sounds like activists really took the opportunity of a changed government to bring about um, some differences in society. I want to move to um, Ismail Sabri Yaqub because uh, you you talked about coalition of UMNO and PAS, and we know PAS is the um, traditionally um, Islamist party. Um, so, so is PAS supporting him? I mean, at the moment they are PAS and UMNO, uh, but I think they will make the same uh, demands on him that they did for Mohidin. Uh, and many of these has to do with the cases that are up in the courts. Uh, you know, all the cases uh, of corruption, for example, against Najib, still haven't been settled. And uh, he's asking for concessions, for changes, lighter sentences, and so on. So we have yet to see whether uh, Ismail Sabri will, will comply. But uh, people expect him to be even more uh, inefficient than Muhyiddin Yassin, uh, even though he sort of uh, made a kind of a, a kind of a unity government with the opposition. Actually, it's the opposition uh, that initiated this because they know that the people are so fearful of the whole country falling apart. And we are going into a very big economic crisis and a very big health crisis and the whole country will fall apart. So because of this, uh, the opposition 
uh, entered into a kind of a unity government type of uh, structure with this one sub. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Irene Xavier from the Labor Law Reform Coalition, and we're discussing the political, economic and health crisis in Malaysia at the moment. Well, I want to talk about the, this, the COVID situation because we are seeing how how bad it is. I mean, I think um, at its peak, there were something like 7,000 transmissions a day in Malaysia. Um, the, the lockdowns you've described as very unpopular, and of course, they do affect business. We know this. Um, but I, I wonder how are the lockdowns being received by workers or the working class Given that lockdowns seem to be very effective in stopping the spread of COVID, but they do bring around uh, quite significant economic hardship. Yeah, I mean, the, the workers are, are in terrible uh, hardship now. Many workers have lost their jobs. Uh, many employers, if, uh, if we don't open our business premises, it means that we cannot afford to continue to pay the workers. So many workers are paid less. Many workers are not paid at all. Many workers have been, uh, have lost their jobs. So actually things are very difficult for workers. And uh, I don't know whether you heard about the white flag movement. It is basically because so many people didn't have enough food to eat that they decided to fly a white flag from their windows and uh, whoever saw those flags would come and uh, give people food and, and so on. So uh, things were, things are, you know, at that kind of stage. Even now, there are petrol kiosks that collect, uh, that have small food banks. People can come and donate to these food banks and others can come and take food that they require and so on. So this, this is something uh, that we have not heard uh, in Malaysia, heard about. And uh, most of these people, this, this type of conditions are workers. All uh, informal workers have lost all opportunity to earn a living. Uh, so conditions are really very bad for the workers. And what is worse, people, we are afraid that even if things, uh, if businesses began to operate, it, we will still face a great issue of unemployment. Because some people have completely closed down. They, they cannot continue anymore with their businesses. Have the workers raised demands like financial relief, um, so like full payments while the lockdown is in place? Have businesses asked for that? Or is it just that this lockdown is literally seeing people starve to death? Uh, there, there are many groups. LLRC actually asked that workers be paid, workers who have been retrenched, 
be paid at least 80% of their wages during the time they do not have work. Of course, the government didn't do that. Uh, government introduced lots of schemes, but these schemes, we don't know who received them, who didn't receive them. There's no transparency at all about this. Uh, and on top of that, the government told workers to go to their uh, retirement savings the employment fund and told them that they could withdraw from their own savings to get them through this period, which means that the workers have to forego their retirement uh, savings so that they can go through this period. So things were not uh, doing well for workers, even though uh, trade unions objected, uh, raised these issues, but Mohidin just went ahead with whatever he was doing. It is a common strategy that governments of the world are using to ask workers to raid their pension funds. So I'm not surprised it has also happened in Malaysia as well. Now, you also talked about the unpopularity of um, Ismail Sabri Yaqub as well. Uh, so it does look like, and you've more or less said that the political crisis in Malaysia is effectively resulting in an unstable government. What do you think is going to happen between the economic crisis, the pandemic crisis, the political crisis? Is there any visible movement of workers at all uh, in response? The, the workers' movements have been very, very weak because as of generally speaking, uh, the Malaysian workers' movements are not very dynamic. So the workers' movement is still weak. Uh, but the students and young people are responding. So they are the people who have come up on the streets. Uh, they are the people that the government is hounding. Uh, they all have uh, cases against them. Uh, journalists and people using the media, even writing sometimes to the media, uh, has put the media that carried the stories in trouble. But the people are really fighting back. For example, uh, one of our favorite online media, uh, Malaysia Kini, was fined a very hefty sum. I think almost like half a million for a story that a reader, for a comment actually that the reader had made. It was not even their story, it's somebody else's uh, comment that, they, uh, that was published. And the government made huge fine against them. And as soon as the fine was made, within I think a couple of hours, the Malaysian public raised more than enough money to pay the fine. That's how angry uh, Malaysians are. Uh, so those kind of uh, attacks are going on. Uh, unfortunately, the workers' movement is not as strong as it could be. Thank you so much for your time and detailing the current situation for workers and people across Malaysia. Is there anything you want to add to the discussion? 
I, I think what, what we all hope will happen is uh, that the government will not be destabilized in the next one year or so, and uh, that parliament will reconvene, and that we will make, uh, that we will have elections, and that the young people um, who are supposed uh, to be able to vote now, those above 18, uh, the government has not implemented the law, hasn't gazetted the law that was passed. Uh, so if that also comes in, we will have a huge number of very young voters. And so everyone is now looking to the next elections uh, to make a difference. That was Irene Xavier from the Labor Law Reform Coalition in Malaysia. And we were discussing the political, economic and health crisis in Malaysia at the moment. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. The music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kanjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in to the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.